11. Between individuals, and even between large groups of people, such as members of an auto, formerly exchange of labor was practiced slightly more than at present, but today, as has been noted, all dwellings are built by the unpaid labor of those who come for the accompanying feast and good time, and because their own dwellings were or will be built by such labor, a great deal of agricultural labor is now paid for in kind, practically all the available labor in an auto turns out to help a member when a piece of work is urgent. However, it is not customary for poor people to exchange their labor, since they constantly need food for those dependent on them. When the poor man desires a wage for his toil he needs only to tell some rich person that he wishes to work for him both understand that a wage will be paid. Distribution by the term distribution is here meant the ordinary division of the productions of Bontoc area among the several classes of Igrul in the area in other words. What is each person's share of that which the area produces? It must be said that distribution is very equitable. Wages are uniform. No man or set of men habitually spoils another's accumulations by exacting from him a tax or rake-off. There is no form of gambling or winning another's earnings. There are no slaves or others who labor without wages. Children do not retain their own wages until they marry, but they inherit all their parents' possessions. There is almost no usury. There is no indigent class. And the rich men toil as industriously in the fields as do the poor though I must say I never knew a rich man to go as car-getter on the trail. Theft higher forms of society, even such society as the Christianized Filipinos of the coastal cities, produce and possess a considerable number of people who live and often raise families on personal property stolen and carried away from the lawful owners. Almost no thief in the Bontoc area escapes detection the society is too simple for him to escape and when he is apprehended he restores more than he took away. There is no opportunity for a thief class to develop. Consequently there is no chance for theft to distort the usual equitable division of products. Conquest conquest, or the act of gaining control and acquisition of another's property by force of arms, is not operative in the Bontoc area. Moral and perhaps other southern Malayan people frequently capture people by conquest whom they enslave, and they also bring back much valuable loot in the shape of metals and the much prized large earthen jars. Certain Negro, as those of Asin, make forcible conquests on their neighbors and carry away persons for slavery. Asin made a raid westward into Swak of Lepanto province in 1900, and some American miners joined the expedition of natives to try to recover the captives. But Bontoc has no such conquests, and, since the people have long ago ceased migration, there is no conquest of territory. In their interpueblo warfare loot is seldom carried away. There is practically nothing in the form of movable and easily controlled valuable possessions, such as domestic cattle, horses, or carabatas. So the usual equilibrium of Bontoc property distribution has little to disturb it. The primitive agriculturist is thought of in history as the victim of warlike neighbors who make predatory forays against him, repeatedly robbing him of his hard-earned accumulations. In Negro land this is not the case. There are no savage or barbaric people, except the Negritos who are not agriculturists. Sometimes, however, some of the Negro groups descend to the settlements of the Christians in the lowlands and in the night bring back a few carabatos and hogs. The Igru of Quayongan are noted for such robberies made on the pueblos of Bagabag and Idang to the south in central Nueva Vizcaya. Sometimes, also, one Igru group speaks of another as Busol, or enemy, and says the Busol come to rob them in the night. I believe, however, from inquiries made, 
that relatively very small amounts of property pass from one Idril group to another by robbery or conquest. The Bantak Idril appears to be in a transition stage, not usually emphasized, between the communism of the savage or barbarian in which each person is said to have a share as long as necessities last, and the more advanced forms of society in which many classes are able to divert to their own advantage much which otherwise would not come to them. The Idril is not a communist. Neither in any sense does he get the monopolist's share. He is living a life of such natural production that he enjoys the fruits of his labors in a fairer way than do many of the men beneath him or above him in culture. Consumption under this title will be considered simply the foods and beverages of the people. No attempt will be made to treat of consumption in its breadth as it appears to the economist. Foods there are few forms of animal life about the idral that he will not and does not eat. The exceptions are mainly insectivora and such larger animals as the mythology of the Idro says were once men as the monkey, serpent eagle, crow, snake, etc. However, he is not wholly lacking in taste and preference in his foods. Of his common vegetable foods he frequently said he prefers, first, beans, second, rice, third, maize, fourth, commotes, fifth, millet. Rice is the staple food, and most families have sufficient for subsistence during the year. When rice is needed for food bunches of the poly, as tied up at the harvest, are brought and laid in the small pocket of the wooden mortar where they are threshed out of the fruit head. One or two mortars full is thus threshed and put aside on a winnowing tray. When sufficient has been obtained the grain is put again in the mortar and pounded to remove the pellicle. Usually only sufficient rice is threshed and cleaned for the consumption of one or two days. When the pellicle has been pounded loose the grain is winnowed on a large round tray by a series of dexterous movements, removing all chaff and dirt with scarcely the loss of a kernel of good rice. The work of threshing, hulling, and winnowing usually falls to the women and girls, but is sometimes performed by the men when their women are preoccupied. At one time when an American wished two or three bushels of poly threshed, as horse food for the trail, three Bontoc men performed the work in the classic treadmill manner. They spread a mat on the earth, covered it with poly, and then tread, or rather rubbed, out the kernels with their bare feet. They often scraped up the mass with their feet, bunching it and rubbing it in a way that strongly suggested hands. Rice is cooked in water without salt. An earthen pot is half filled with the grain and is then filled to the brim with cold water. In about 20 minutes the rice is cooked, filling the vessel, and the water is all absorbed or evaporated. If there is no great haste. The rice sets 10 or 15 minutes longer while the kernels dry out somewhat, as the Idril cooks rice, or, for that matter, as the native anywhere in the islands cooks it. The grains are not mashed and mussed together, but each kernel remains whole and separate from the others. Cooked rice, magan, is almost always eaten with the fingers, being crowded into the mouth with the back of the thumb. In Bantak, Samoki, Titipan, Mayanit. And ganong salt is either sprinkled on the rice after it is dished out or is tasted from the fingertips during the eating. In some pueblos, as at Tulubin, almost no salt is eaten at any time. When rice alone is eaten at a meal a family of five adults eats about ten bantak manojo of rice per day. Beans are cooked in the form of a thick soup, but without salt. Beans and rice, each cooked separately, are frequently eaten together, such a dish is called sedfan. Salt is eaten with sedfan by those pueblos which commonly consume salt. Maize is hessed, silked, and then cooked on the cob. It is eaten from the cob, and no salt is used either in the cooking or eating. 
Camotes are eating raw a great deal about the Pueblo, the Cementera, and the Trail. Before they are cooked they are pared and generally cut in pieces about two inches long, they are boiled without salt. They are eaten alone at many meals, but are relished best when eaten with rice. They are always eaten from the fingers. One dish, called Kalike, consists of camotes, pared and sliced, and cooked and eaten with rice. This is a ceremonial dish, and is always prepared at the listless ceremony and at a Sufali, Wisconsin or sugar making time. Camotes are always prepared immediately before being cooked, as they blacken very quickly after pairing. Millet is stored in the harvest bunches, and must be threshed before it is eaten. After being threshed in the wooden mortar the winnowed seeds are again returned to the mortar and crushed. This crushed grain is cooked as is rice and without salt. It is eaten also with the hands fingers is too delicate a term. Some other vegetable foods are also cooked and eaten by the Igro. Among them is taro which, however, is seldom grown in the Bantak area, outside the area, both north and south. There are large cementers of it cultivated for food. Several wild plants are also gathered, and the leaves cooked and eaten as the American eats greens. The Bantak Igro also has preferences among his regular flesh foods. The chicken is prized most, next he favors pork, third, fish, fourth, carabao, and fifth, dog, chicken, pork except wild hog, and dog are never eaten except ceremonially. Fish and carabao are eaten on ceremonial occasions, but are also eaten at other times nearly as food. The interesting ceremonial killing, dressing, and eating of chickens is presented elsewhere, in the sections on death and ceremonials. It is unnecessary to repeat the information here, as the processes are everywhere the same, excepting that generally no part of the fowl, except the feathers, is unconsumed head, feet, intestines, everything, is devoured. The hog is ceremonially killed by cutting its throat, not by sticking, as is the American custom, but the neck is cut, half severing the head, at Omdeklau, on the Ongno River in Bangat Province. I saw a hog ceremonially killed by having a round-pointed stick an inch in diameter pushed and twisted into it from the right side behind the foreleg, through and between the ribs, and into the heart, the animal bled internally, and, while it was being cut up by four men with much ceremony and show, the blood was scooped from the rib basin where it had gathered, and was mixed with the animal's brains, the intestines were then emptied by drawing between thumb and fingers and the blood and brain mixture poured into them from the stomach as a funnel. A string of blood and brain sausages resulted. When the intestines were cooked, the mouth of the Bantak hog is held or tied shut until the animal is dead. The Bangat hog could be heard for 15 minutes at least a quarter of a mile. After the Bantak hog is killed it is singed, cut up, and all put in the large shallow iron boiler. When cooked it is cut into smaller pieces, which are passed around to those assembled at the ceremonial. Fish are eaten both ceremonially and privately whenever they may be obtained. The small fish, the kiko, are in no way cleaned or dressed. Two or three times I saw them cooked and eaten ceremonially, and was told they are prepared the same way for private consumption. The fish, scarcely any over two inches in length, were strung on twisted green grass strings about six inches in length. Several of these strings were tied together and placed in an olla of water. When cooked they were lifted out the strings broken apart, and the fish stripped off into a wooden bowl. Salt was then liberally strewn over them. A large green leaf was brought as a plate for each person present, and the fish were divided again and again until each had an equal share. However, the old men present received double share, 
and were to serve before the others. At one time a man was present with a nursing babe in his arms, and he was given two leaves, or two shares, though no one expected the babe could eat its share. After the fish food was passed to each, the broth was also liberally salted and then poured into several wooden bowls. At one fish feast platters of cooked rice and squash were also brought and set among the people. Handful after handful of solid food followed its predecessor rapidly to the always crammed mouth. The fish was eaten as one might eat sparingly of a delicacy, and the broth was drunk now and then between mouthfuls. Two other fish are also eaten by the igru of the area, the liling, about four to six inches in length also cooked and eaten without dressing and the shallot, a large fish said to acquire the length of four feet. Several small animals, crustaceans and mollusks, gathered in the river and picked up in the cementers by the women, are cooked and eaten. All these are considered similar to fish and are eaten similarly. Among these is a bright red crab called a gkama. This is boiled and all eaten except part of the back shell and the hard pinchers. A shrimp-like crustacean obtained in the irrigated cementers is also boiled and eaten entire. A few mollusks are eaten after being cooked. 1. Called Keton. I have seen eaten many times, it is a snail-like animal, and after being boiled it is sucked into the mouth after the apex of the shell has been bitten or broken off. Two other animals said to be somewhat similar are called finger and liskud. The carabao is killed by spearing and, though also eaten simply as food, it is seldom killed except on ceremonial occasions, such as marriages, funerals, the building of a dwelling, and peace and war feasts whether actual events at the time or feasts in commemoration. The chief occasion for eating carabao merely as a food is when an animal is injured or ill at a time when no ceremonial event is at hand. The animal is then killed and eaten. All is eaten that can be masticated. The animal is neither skinned, singed, nor scraped. All is cut up and cooked together hide, hair, hoofs, intestines, and head, excepting the horns. Carabao is generally not salted in cooking, and the use of salt in eating the flesh depends on the individual eater. Sometimes large pieces of raw carabao meat are laid on high racks near the dwelling and dried in the sun. There are several such racks in Bantuk, and one can know a long distance from them whether they hold dried meat. If one pueblo, in the area exceeds another in the strength and in pleasantness of its dried meat it is made in it, where on the occasion of a visit there a very small piece of meat jammed on a stick like a taffy stick and joyfully set by a two-year-old babe successfully bombarded and depopulated our camp. Various meats, called it tag, as carabao and pork, are preserved by salting down in large pijico bound gourds, called falay, or in tightly covered alas, called tiuyunan. All pueblos in the area except Ambawan, which has an unexplained taboo against eating carabao thus store away meats, but Bitewagan, Sandanga, and Tukukan habitually salt large quantities in the falay. Meats are kept thus two or three years, though of course the odor is vile. The dog ranks last in the list of regular flesh foods of the Bantok man. In the Bengut area it ranks second, pork receiving the first place. The Ibilao does not eat dog his dog is a hunter and guard, giving alarm of the approaching enemy. In Bantok the dog is eaten only on ceremonial occasions. Funerals and marriages are probably more often celebrated by a dog feast than are any other of their ceremonials. The animal's mouth is held closed and his legs secured while he is killed by cutting the throat. Then his tail is cut off close to the body why, I could not learn, but I once saw it, and am told it always is so. The animal is cinched in the fire and the crisped hair rubbed off with sticks and hands, after which it is cut up and boiled, 
and then further cut up and eaten as is the carabao meat. Young babies are sometimes fed hard-boiled fresh eggs, but the idro otherwise does not eat fresh eggs, though he does eat large numbers of stale ones. He prefers to wait, as one of them said, until there is something in the egg to eat. He invariably brings stale or developing eggs to the American until he is told to bring fresh ones. It is not alone the idro who has this peculiar preference the same condition exists widespread in the archipelago. Locusts, or chochan, are gathered, cooked, and eaten by the idro, as by all other natives in the islands, they are greatly relished, but may be had in Bontoc only irregularly perhaps once or twice for a week or ten days each year, or once in two years, they are cooked in boiling water and later dried, whereupon they become crisp and sweet, by some idro they are stored away, but I cannot say whether they are kept in Bontoc any considerable time after cooking. The locusts come in storms, literally like a pelting, large flaked snowstorm, driving across the country for hours and even days at a time. All Idril have large scoop nets for catching them and immense bottle-like baskets in which to put them and transport them home. The locust catcher runs along in the storm, and, whirling around in it with his large net, scoops in the victims. Many families sometimes wander a week or more catching locusts when they come to their vicinity and cease only one miles from home. The cry of enemy will scarcely set an idro community astir sooner than will the cry of Cholchan. The locust is looked upon by them as a very manna from heaven. Pinolat is a food of cooked locusts pounded and mixed with uncooked rice. All is salted down in an olio and tightly covered over with a vegetable leaf or a piece of cloth. When it is eaten the mixture is cooked. Though this cooking does not kill the strong odor of decay. Other insect foods are also eaten. I once saw a number of men industriously robbing the large white eggs from an ant nest in a tree. The nest was built of leaves attached by a web. Into the bottom of this closed pocket the men cloaked a hole with a long stick, letting a pint or more of the white pupae run out on a winnowing tray on the earth. From this tray the furious ants were at length driven, and the eggs taken home for cooking. Beverages the idro drinks water much more than any other beverage. On the trail, though carrying loads while the American may walk empty-handed, he drinks less than the American. He seldom drinks while eating, though he makes a beverage said to be drunk only at meal time. After meals he usually drinks water copiously. Barasai is the idro name of the fermented beverage prepared from sugar cane. Barasai, under various names, is found widespread throughout the islands. The Bantok man makes his barasai in December. He boils the express juice of the sugar cane about six hours at which time he puts into it a handful of vegetable ferment obtained from a tree called tub fig. This vegetable ferment is gathered from the tree as a flower or young fruit, it is dried and stored in the dwelling for future use. The brewed liquid is poured into a large olio, the flat-bottom variety called foil foy manufactured expressly for barasai, and then is tightly covered over and set away in the granary. In five days the ferment has worked sufficiently, and the beverage may be drunk. It remains good about four months, for during the fifth or sixth month it turns very acid. Barasai is manufactured by the men alone. Tukukan and Tidapan manufacture it to sell to other pueblos. It is sold for about half a peso per gallon. It is drunk quite a good deal during the year, though mostly on ceremonial occasions. Men frequently carry a small amount of it with them to the cementers when they guard them against the wild hogs during the long nights. They say it helps to keep them warm. One glass of barasai will intoxicate a person not accustomed to drink it. Though the idro who uses it habitually may drink two or three glasses before intoxication, 
Usually a man drinks only a few swallows of it at a time, and I never saw a Negro intoxicated except during some ceremony and then not more than a dozen in several months. Women never drink Bossai. Topiuli is a fermented drink made from rice, the Chayetit variety, they say, grown in Bontoc Pueblo. It is a very sweet and sticky rice when cooked. This beverage also is found practically everywhere in the archipelago. Only a small amount of the Chayetit is grown by Bontoc Pueblo. To manufacture Topiuli the rice is cooked and then spread on a winnowing tray until it is cold. When cold a few ounces of a ferment called food are sprinkled over it and thoroughly stirred in. All is then put in an olio, which is tied over and set away. The ferment consists of cane sugar and dry raw rice pounded and pulverized together to a fine powder. This is then spread in the sun to dry and is later squeezed into small balls some two inches in diameter. This ferment will keep a year. When needed a ball is pulverized and sprinkled fine over the cooked rice. An olio of rice prepared for topiui will be found in one day half filled with the beverage. Topiui will keep only about two months. It is never drunk by the women, though they do eat the sweet rice kernels from the jar, and they, as well as the men, manufacture it. It is claimed never to be manufactured in the Bontoc area for sale. A half glass of the beverage will intoxicate. At the end of a month the beverage is very intoxicating, and is then commonly weakened with water. Topiuli is much preferred to Barsai. The Bontoc man prepares another drink which is filthy, and, even they themselves say, Vile smelling, it is called asafoeng, is drunk at meals, and is prepared as follows, cold water is first put in a jar, and into it are thrown cooked rice, cooked commotes, cooked locusts, and all sorts of cooked flesh and bones, the resulting liquid is drunk at the end of 10 days, and is sour and vinegar-like, the preparation is perpetuated by adding more water and solid ingredients it does not matter much what they are. The odor of asafoeng is the worst stench in Bontoc. I never closely investigated the beverage personally but I have no reason to doubt what the Igro says of it, but if all is true, why is it not fatal? Salt throughout the year the Pueblo of Mayanet produces salt from a number of brackish hot springs occupying about an acre of ground at the north end of the Pueblo. Mayanet has a population of about 1.000 souls, probably half of whom are directly interested in salt production. It is probable that the Pueblo owes its location to the salt springs, although adjoining it to the south is an arable valley now filled with rice cementers, which may first have drawn the people. The hot springs slowly raise their water to the surface, where it flows along in shallow streams. Over these streams, or rather sheets of sluggish water, the Igro have built 152 salt houses, usually about 12 feet wide and from 12 to 25 feet long. The houses, while shown in place CXV, are simply grass-covered roofs extending to the earth. There is no ownership in the springs today just as there is no ownership in springs which furnish irrigating water one owns the water that passes into his salt house, but has no claim on that which passes through it and flows out below. So each person has ownership of all and only all the water he can use within his plant, and the people claim there are no disputes between owners of houses as they look at it. Each owner of a salt house has an equal chance to gather salt. The ground space of the salt house is closely paved with cobblestones from 4 to 6 inches in diameter. The water passes among the bases of these stones, and the salt is deposited in a thin crust over their surface. See place CXVI. These houses are inherited, and, as a consequence, 
several persons may ultimately have proprietary interest in one house. In such a case the ground space is divided, often resulting in many twig-separated patches, as is shown in Figure 7. About once each month the salt is gathered, the women of the family work naked in the stream-filled house, washing the crust of salt from the stones into a large wooden through, called K.O. Long K.O. Each stone is thoroughly washed and then replaced in the pavement. The saturated brine is preserved in a gourd until sufficient is gathered for evaporation. Figure 7 Ground Plan of May in its salt house. Two or more families frequently join in evaporating their salt. The brine is boiled in the large, shallow iron boilers, and from half a day to a day is necessary to effect the evaporation. Evaporation is discontinued when the salt is reduced to a thick paste. The evaporated salt is spread in a half-inch layer on a piece of banana leaf cut about 5 inches square. The leaf of paste is supported by two sticks on, but free from, a piece of curved broken pottery which is the baking pan. The salt thus prepared for baking is set near a fire in the dwelling where it is baked 30 or 40 minutes. It is then ready for use at home or for commerce, and is preserved in the square. Flat cakes called luck assay. Analyses have been made of May in its salt as prepared by the crude method of the hydro. The showing is excellent when the processes are considered. The finished salt having 86.02% of sodium chloride as against 90.68% for Michigan common salt and 95.35% for Onondaga common salt. Table of salt composition constituent elements May in its salt common fine saturated brine evaporated salt baked salt Michigan salt Onondaga salt. Percent 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 calcium sulfate 0.731.500.460.8051.355 sodium sulfate 0.926.2810.03 sodium chloride 7.9572.1986.0290.682.95.353 insoluble matter 2.14.16.45 water 88.0319.1 9 1.786.75 and determine point to 3.68.1.26 calcium chloride point 974.155 magnesium chloride point 781.136 total area code 100 house produces from 6 to 30 cakes of salt at each baking a cake is valued at an equivalent of 5 cents, thus making an average salt house, producing, say, 15 cakes per month, worth of 9 pesos per year. Salt houses are seldom sold, but when they are they claim they sell for only 3 or 4 pesos. Sugar in October and November the Bontacadro makes sugar from cane. The stalks are gathered, cut in lengths of about 20 inches, tied in bundles a foot in diameter and stored away until the time for expressing the juice. The sugar cane crusher, shown in place CXVII, consists of two sometimes of three, vertical, solid, hardwood cylinders set securely to revolve into horizontal timbers, which, in turn, are held in place by two uprights. One of the cylinders projects above the upper horizontal timber and has fitted over it, as a key, a long double end sweep. This main cylinder conveys its power to the others by means of wooden cogs which are set firmly in the wood and play into sockets dug from the other cylinder. Boys commonly furnish the power used to crush the cane, and there is much song and sport during the hours of labor. Two people, usually boys, sitting on both sides of the crusher, feed the cane back and forth, 
three or four stalks are put through at a time, and they are run through thirty or forty times, or until they break into pieces of pulp not over three or four inches in length. The juice runs down a slide into a jar set in the ground beneath the crusher. The boiling is done in large shallow iron boilers over an open fire under a roof. I have known the Igro to operate the crusher until midnight, and to boil down the juice throughout the night. Sugar boiling time is known as a Soufali, Wisconsin. A delicious brown cake sugar is made, which, in some parts of the area, is poured to cool and is preserved in bamboo tubes. In other parts it is cooked and preserved in flat cakes an inch in thickness. There is not much sugar made in the area, and a large part of the product is purchased by the Ilocano. The Igro cares very little for sweets, even the children frequently throw away candy after tasting it. Meals and mealtime The man of the family arises about 3.30 or 4 o'clock in the morning. He builds the fires and prepares to cook the family breakfast and the food for the pigs. A labor generally performed each morning is the pairing of commotes. In about half an hour after the man arises the commotes and rice are put over to cook. The daughters come home from the Oleg, and the boys from their sleeping quarters shortly before breakfast. Breakfast, called mangan, meaning simply to eat, is taken by all members of the family together, usually between 5 and 6 o'clock. For this meal all the family, sitting on their haunches, gather around three or four wooden dishes filled with steaming hot food setting on the earth. They eat almost exclusively from their hands, and seldom drink anything at breakfast, but they usually drink water after the meal. The members of the family who are to work away from the dwelling leave about 7 or 7.30 o'clock but earlier. If there is a rush of work, if the times are busy in the fields, the laborers carry their dinner with them, if not. All members assemble at the dwelling and eat their dinner together about 1 o'clock. This midday meal is often a cold meal, even when partaken in the house. Field laborers return home about 6.30, at which time it is too dark to work longer. But during the rush seasons of transplanting and harvesting poly the Igro generally works until 7 or 7.30 during moonlight nights. All members of the family assemble for supper, and this meal is always a warm one. It is generally cooked by the man, unless there is a boy or girl in the family large enough to do it, and who is not at work in the fields, it is usually eaten about 7 or 7.30 o'clock, on the earth floor, as is the breakfast, a light is used, a bright, smoking blaze of the pitch pine, it burns on a flat stone kept ready in every house it is certainly the first and crudest house lamp, being removed in development only one infinitesimal step from the stationary fire. This light is also sometimes employed at breakfast time. If the morning meal is earlier than the Sunday usually by 8 o'clock the husband and wife retire for the night, and the children leave home immediately after supper. Transportation The human is the only beast of burden in the Bantok area. Elsewhere in northern Luzon the Christianized people employ horses, cattle, and carabados as pack animals. Along the coastwise roads cattle and carabados haul to wheel carts. And in the unirrigated lowland rice tracts these same animals drag sleds surmounted by large basket work receptacles for the poly. The Igro has doubtless seen all of these methods of animal transportation, but the conditions of his home are such that he cannot employ them. He has no roads for wheels, neither carabados, cattle, nor horses could go away.